Okay, we are live. Welcome to episode number two of the Mr. Bass podcast. And thanks for joining us. And today I've got a super treat. I've got Joe and Joe. And uh, you guys, if you uh, listened to episode number one, you know Big Joe down at the bottom of the screen. Uh, great tournament fisherman. And uh, in our last podcast, he shared with us how he recently won the BASS Open Tournament at Louisville Lake as a co-angler. And Joe and I have been co-angling tournaments together for a while now, and he's an excellent stick. And then little Joe, up above Joe Enda, as it says on the screen there, is uh, also a great friend of mine and a great tournament angler. He's got years and years of experience. And I think you guys are going to learn a ton from the Joe and Joe show for sure. <laughs> so welcome, guys. Thanks for joining me today. So we're just going to kind of uh, free flow here. We don't have a lot planned, but we got a couple of ideas that we're going to throw out there first to get started. Um, since we talked with you, uh, Joe Lee, in the last episode, let's talk to Joe Enda a little bit. Joe, why don't you tell everybody kind of your background, your fishing background and how you got started. And uh, I know that was many moons ago, but uh, tell everybody a little bit about your, uh, what's led you to where you're at today. Cause you're a passionate, uh, skilled angler with lots of experience. Well, it started probably when I was, I don't know, first time I was, my stepdad took me out fishing. I was probably eight or nine. And I caught a lot of fish that nobody else did. And that kind of drove the passion. And then as I got older, I started expanding more into different species, trout, salmon, stripers, because I lived in California. It wasn't until after I got out of the military in 83 that I start chasing the tournament and basically I had a friend of mine that I got to know that belonged to a club and kind of invited me to come as a co-angler and I thought okay so it gave me a chance to compete and at least test out how good I was or my skills or my abilities compared to other anglers and it's also a good way to learn because yeah. at the club yeah. level I fished with guys like John Murray. He was in the same club with me, Ted Miller, who won the US Open. So guys like that, getting information from them is just valuable. And so that kind of drove the passion. I've been competing since 1983 until present. Yeah, you make a good point here. I think uh, Joe Lee, you and I talked a little bit about this last time is that uh, one great thing about fishing as a co-angler especially if you don't have any experience is man there's probably no better way to learn about fishing techniques and you know if you start if you start fishing around ponds and you just throw rooster tails and uh, uh, live worms night crawlers uh, you don't know a lot and uh, co-angling, man, it can open your world, expand your mind on techniques and fishing and that, that kind of stuff. It sure so, can. Yep. I've so used is that, a lot of, uh, go ahead. 
is that how you got started, Joe? Was uh, tournament uh, co-angling at tournaments as well or some other way? Well, I started out uh, fishing with my dad, like I said, when I was about nine years old, started fishing tournaments. There was two big bass clubs here in the Dallas area. I think it was the Dallas Outdoorsmen and the Bass Anglers of Dallas. And all the very best fishermen fished those two different clubs. You know, we've got so many different clubs out there now, uh, you know, local small clubs. And then you got the big, you know, bass champs and media, things like that. Uh, yeah. But when I started out, it was a lot of small clubs and all the good guys were in those two clubs. And uh, so you're competing against the very best guys. So you, the, the problem was back then, it was just me and my dad fishing. So I didn't really learn a lot until uh, I started fishing uh, the Bassmaster and then also fishing with a few other guys locally. Uh, but uh, the Bassmaster was the big thing where I really started learning a lot of different techniques uh, about fishing. Yeah, so what's the advantage, Joe and Joe, to um, fishing and competing against the best? Well, you know, it's it, when you when you uh, when you fish and you have a passion for fishing, and you see these guys go out and catch these big stringers of bass, and you go out the same day and you don't catch anything, you know, you're always wondering, <laughs> you know, how did those guys do that? You know, it was such tough fishing. How'd they do it? And uh, when you're actually able to fish with these guys and see how they do it and just see how hard they work. You know, this stuff's not easy. And I think we, we tend to, uh, uh, we talked about simplifying and I think that's what you have to do in the beginning. You have to simplify, you know, and I grew up fishing a worm. Uh, you know, I worm fished a lot of my whole life and, you know, you can always catch a fish on a plastic worm somewhere, you know, and it doesn't matter what time of the year it is. And I think when you're, when you start out as a co-angler, I think you need to simplify, you know, there's so many great baits out there and there's so many techniques, you know, you can fish deep diving crankbaits, you can fish uh, topwaters, you can fish uh, 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 jigging spoons, you know, you can fish giant swim baits, all these things, and they could get you so messed up in a tournament where you're not catching anything. So I think starting out, uh, you need to simplify a few techniques. You know, I, I, I've won most of my money fishing a uh, speed crawl on an eighth ounce weight. And, you know, I've probably caught more fish on that bait than any other bait in my tackle box. Uh, yeah. I've noticed know. that on the tournaments that we fish, you've always got that speed crawl tied on. What, yeah. what, what about you, Joe Enda? What's your uh, go-to technique when it comes to tournament fishing? Well, I, I try not to get hung up on any one thing. And kind of like Joe said below, when you fish with some of these guys, you're not only learning what they're doing, but it opens up a whole new window for you. Like you might fish a bait one specific way, and then you see this guy fishing, and you're like, whoa, wait a minute, I never thought about that. Yeah. And not everything you're going to learn is going to work for you because – you're going to find out that some stuff is lake specific, meaning certain baits work better at certain lakes. There is a few baits, like Joe said, you could take anywhere in the United States. And one of them is from out west is the Cinco. I, I learned to fish finesse lakes, clear water. Uh, I mean, I did a lot of drop shotting, that kind of stuff. And then later on, when I moved to the Midwest, I got more into power fishing and learning that aspect of it because the water up here is not as clear. There's a lot more structure. It's not deep and clear. So 
I think you constantly learn. If you stop learning, there's a problem. Like even today, I learned off of co-anglers. I learned off of, you know, other people that even walk in the bank or fishing, you know, you, you can learn something from somebody. It's just being open-minded and then taking the time to actually apply what you're learning. And what I mean is like when drop shot hit the West and became a big thing, I didn't know how to drop shot. The first thing I did was leave everything I owned at home except for a spinning rod, a box full of worms, some drop shot weights. And I took my boat out and I said, I'm gonna make myself learn this technique. Now you're asking for a long day, trust me, because you have to learn how to <laughs> locate the fish plus catch them. But if you dedicate the time and the patience, you'll learn that technique. But if you keep bringing out the jig rod and everything else, you're gonna fish it for about five minutes and then you're gonna get away from it and you're gonna go back to what, what is reliable. That's yeah. right. At least give yourself the opportunity to learn it. Yeah, I've run into that so many times myself. I'll say to myself, uh, you know, there's new techniques that come out all the time. I can remember when the spy bait came out and I said, man, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go learn that spy bait. So I run down to Table Rock Lake and start throwing the spy bait. And after about 30 minutes, maybe an hour at the most, don't get a single bite. So what do I do? I go right back to what I like to fish and put the spy bait down and get no experience in it, you know? And uh, it's true. We just gravitate to what we're comfortable with. That's one good thing about fishing as a co-angler, especially if you, if you fish new water, new lakes, you're going to be forced to learn and experience new techniques because the technique you're really good at may not work on that lake. And that's one thing I've, I've noticed uh, when I do these videos uh, and podcasts and, and other things, just conversations with people about fishing, when they ask a question, it's amazing how many times the answer to the question is, it depends. It depends on so many things. It depends on what time of year. It depends on the weather. It depends on the water clarity. It depends on the barometer. It depends on whether there's grass in the lake or it's a rocky lake or, you know, on and on and on and on. It really depends. So even when we, you know, for uh, sake of a, a good radio show, we may talk about what's the best way to fish a speed craw in, you know, for example, the first answer is always, well, it depends. There's places where the speed craw is not, not really going to be very smart to fish with, and then sometimes it's going to be great. Uh, one thing I wanted to hit on uh, that I was thinking about, and you both could chime in on this, fishing as a co-angler gives you tons of experience, but there are some drawbacks. One is you have to fish behind someone else, and that person usually is pretty experienced. Usually they are. They're definitely paying a lot more money for the experience. And it usually means they've uh, got a lot of fishing experience. How do you successfully fish behind someone? Uh, what do we always say? You know, I want the clean water, the fresh water. And the boater, he gets first dibs on all the water. How do you find ways to still be successful when you're fishing behind somebody like that? Well, for me, I think the first thing is, I think you have to go out there with the right mindset. And I think 
uh, as a co-angler, you could get so frustrated because you know this guy in the front of the boat. He's good, and he's he's throwing at everything in front of you. So it's almost like you know you stepping out of the front of your boat and stepping in the back of somebody's boat that's probably better fisherman than you are, and you could get very frustrated if you try to if you try to compete with him. And I think that's one thing I've learned. You know, in the beginning, I was probably more aggressive than I am now because I always wanted to try, man, if I could just throw at that thing first, I could probably catch a fish. <laughs> and I were talking, you know, the other day, and I learned, uh, other ways to, to compete with him, you know, by either throwing a different bait or throwing different angles. You know, we talked about that uh, the other day, throwing uh, at different angles at the cover sometimes makes all the difference in the world, you know? And uh, so, you know, I think the right mindset, knowing that you're going to draw guys that are going to start catching fish in front of you, you just got to be patient. You have to wait your turn. You have to uh, make great casts. You know, we talked that we, you know, going to do a little stuff about pitching and flipping. You know, you have to, you have to flip your bait where he's not flipping his bait. You know, you got to keep an eye on him a little bit, uh, but you also uh, can't get frustrated. You just got to fish and fish hard and, you know, make as many flips as you possibly can as many casts at different angles throw different baits than he's throwing uh, we we so tend to want to you know he starts catching fish on a certain bait and coagger wants to tie that bait on and start throwing it well the problem is he's already thrown it in front of you at every piece of cover there is so if you know your only chance is that fish didn't want his bait and you're going to throw something different and catch the fish you know so i I think you got to be patient and, uh, you know, throw a lot of different baits. One thing I do in the back of the boat is I have, uh, I have two or three rods sitting right by my feet and I typically have them right up against the, the seat, uh, the seats that we're sitting in to kind of be out of the way. So I don't step on them. And then as we're going down a bank, you know, if he picks up a spinner bait and starts firing a spinner bait at, at the cover, I'll pick up a worm and throw it in there. Or if he picks up a worm and starts flipping, I'll throw the spinner bait. You know, I kind of do the opposite of what he does. And uh, a lot of times I'll pick up a fish that he wouldn't pick up. So, uh, yeah, those, that, that's uh, some good advice. I remember one little technique that uh, I learned very early on in co-angling, especially in, in this part of the world where we have lots of docks we fish around. If you've got a boater fishing the dock in front of you, that can get frustrating really quick but there are always spots. He's never going to hit every spot. He's never going to drop in every spot. And one thing, uh, one of the guys told me when I very first started was look for the cobwebs, you know, and if there are cobwebs that have not been touched, you know, his bait's not been there, always throwing the cobwebs first and foremost, and then uh, look for other targets like that as well. So what, Joenda, what do you, uh, what do you have to say about, about this uh, subject? Uh, I know you, you are not intimidated about fishing behind someone. Uh, you're going to find a way to catch them anyway. What's your strategy? Well, I think it, fishing as a co-angler is going to make you more versatile. And what I mean by that than a boater, because a boater is going to go out and do his thing. You yeah. know, whatever his comfort zone is, he's going to do it. But when you go as a co-angler, you got to remember one day you're fishing in two foot of water and the next day you're in 30 foot of water yeah so your day can change that quick and if you fish a two-day tournament or a three-day tournament 
as a co-angler, you'll get to know this. You know, just because the first day you drew a guy that, you know, he fished to your strength and you happen to catch a lot of fish, but he was up shallow, but now he takes you out into 20, 30 foot of water, it changes the whole game plan. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. being able to adapt. And, and kind of like Joe said, I agree with Joe, don't do the same thing your boater is doing. You know, try to look at different methods. If he's throwing a worm, throw a jig. Yeah. You know, if he's throwing a crankbait, throw a spinnerbait. Or you might even follow it up with a Senko or a, a topwater buzzbait, something that he is not doing because he's, every fish does not act the same. And he'll throw into a spot two or three times and not catch one. And then you can, you know, capitalize. And a prime example of that is I fished behind a guy in a tournament once that he was throwing a buzzbait down the bank. Mm-hmm. And I noticed every time he missed a fish, he just kept going. Well, the next thing I did is I picked up a follow-up bait because he wasn't throwing back in on those fish. So I put the Cinco on. He throws up there. He misses the fish, makes the pitch down the bank, and leaves it. I throw right back there with the Cinco, and I catch a three-and-a-half-pound fish. Mm. So you got to think, you know, how are the fish reacting, first of all, when we start talking about specific techniques and stuff, are they on the bottom? Are they on the top? Do they want something noisy? Do they want something quiet? All that starts, you got to start figuring that in as your day goes. Use your boater to eliminate water and techniques for you. And so what you don't want to do is like Joe said, you don't want to tie on, even though he's catching a fish. And another prime example, I fished with a guy in a tournament. I showed up with a spinning rod and a drop shot rig and he looked at me and said, you know we're at the Ozarks. <laughs> yeah. But what was the first thing he picked up? A jig rod. So he's flipping jigs into these brush piles. I picked up a drop shot rig, threw it past the brush pile, brought it up to the brush pile and shook it and wound up catching fish. Fish for fish, what he was doing, but I was doing a different technique. Yeah, so you've, you've had a, a couple of great points there. Um, and, and golden nuggets. And this is one thing I would encourage you guys as you listen to these, these uh, anglers that are really got tons of experience, they'll throw out little nuggets of wisdom. It's like free gold if you can latch on to it. And uh, what he was saying there about using your boater to help eliminate water, man, that is genius. And, it, and it's, uh, it's just super advice. Um, don't look at your boater as an adversary. Use him to help you uh, become a better angler. So I like, the, I like the way this conversation is going here. Uh, can I add to that? I, yes. I like what Joe said. Uh, definitely the guy you're fishing with that day, uh, use him to eliminate the water, but then use him the next day to do a different technique. If he was catching fish in front of you, use his technique the next day to your advantage. Exactly. So, uh, so you learn from that day and then you go out the next day and catch fish. And, and also what you said about the, the jig and Lake of the Ozarks. Uh, I talked to Brett about this the other day. I fished with Brett up on Lake of the Ozarks. And the first day I had maybe two fish and it was a five fish limit. And I think Brett had a good, a good sack of fish and he caught his fish throwing a big shaky head, which is basically a big shaky head, uh, maybe half ounce or bigger. 
with a big, you know, magnum zoom trick worm on it. The guy drew the second day, uh, was fishing uh, a jig. And uh, the guy the first day I was with caught three fish on a brush pile. I mentioned that to my boater, used it to my advantage. And not all the guys will do this, but he goes, man, I know where several brush piles are in front of docks. So he said, let's go there. We went there. I started throwing the big shaky head. I started catching them. He's throwing the jig in the exact same brush pile as I'm throwing the shaky head. He's not catching a thing. I end up catching a five fish limit. He finally decides to switch to the big shaky head and then he starts catching fish and he caught a limit. So we both had a great day, caught a limit of fish. So just to show you that, you know, like you said, the, the drop shot or something different that he's throwing, those fish, you know, liked it and, uh, and it wound up, wound up being a great day. I had a similar thing happen to me one time out at Kentucky Lake. It was uh, during the ledge fishing season, you know, uh, everybody was out fishing ledges, uh, chasing those big gizzard shad, uh, chasing bass. And they were throwing big spoons and big football jigs and ginormous uh, um, shaky head worms. And they were also throwing those deep dive and crankbaits and uh, big swim baits. And I was behind a guy and I was catching them okay, but I wasn't catching any big ones, even though I was doing all of the, I, I was throwing all the big techniques. And for some reason, I just got this thought in my head uh, to downsize. And I just got me a tiny shaky head, one that I normally would fish, you know, back home and uh, threw it out there, you know, 30 feet deep on the ledge, on one of the ledges, while he was throwing his big uh, 10XD and wham, I got a five pounder, you know? And of course he was immediately like, whoa, what, 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 what are you doing? What are you doing? And uh, so many times, you know, if you just try something different, it's going to set you apart. It's gonna help you catch fish. Not always, sometimes experimentation will be the death of you. Yeah. But, uh, one of the best, one of the best uh, tournaments I ever had, or one of the biggest stringers I ever caught in a in a bass tournament, was on the Lake Amistad tournament. Uh, it was the Bassmaster tournament. It was the second day, and I drew a guy that my co-angler I was traveling with fished with fished with the first day, and he actually had a good stringer, and he they caught him drop shotting, and I was new to drop shotting. Uh, I had basically one spinning rod with old ten pound line on it. And, uh, you still don't have many spinning rods, do you? I only have two, only have two, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they've come in handy. Trust me. You yeah. are a power fisherman for most sure. Most of the time. Yeah. Most of the time. Uh, but anyway, we, we went out and, um, uh, he was catching his fish on a, um, uh, it's a color, it's a, uh, bold bluegill color. And it's basically brown with a, with a chartreuse stripe on the bottom of it. Uh, the, uh, I forget the hand pour company that makes those, but anyway. Robo Worm. Robo, Robo. thank you. Thank you, <laughs> Robo Worm, yes. And uh, I basically had about three or four uh, bags of uh, Zoom small trick worms. And I had one uh, a Paca crawl uh, made called Paca Melon Color. And it was a, it was a, it was a green pumpkin on one side and watermelon green flake on the other. And so we went out, I was trying to think, how can I do something different? Because we're fishing 35 feet deep straight down. And really the technique to throw was the drop shot and he's doing it in the front of the boat. So I rigged my worm wacky style in the back of the boat. 
he was rigging his Texas rig on his on his drop shot, and I proceeded to catch a six ten and two five pounders right behind him. He's literally standing ten feet in front of me. <laughs> I have no clue why, but what's funny is that towards the end of the tournament, I had my worm hanging over the edge of the boat, and I'm just kind of jiggling. I think we're moving around or something, and I noticed that I rigged it wacky style. And every time I would jerk it, the worm would flip upside down like that, you know, because your hook is going up like this mm -hmm. and it would flash in the water. So you'd get that flash from one side and it was dark on the other. And I thought, I wonder if that's what's making all the difference. Because he was confused. He was like, he's fishing for these fish straight down. He could see them on his graph and they're not biting his worm and they're biting mine. Yeah. And that's the only thing he can think, you know, at the end of the tournament, we kind of figured out maybe that's what it was. Was he wacky so, rigging as well? No, he never, he, he did finally wacky rig later after I caught gotcha. three of those fish. He did, he did try it. So, I mean, that's a perfect example where you're both in the same spot fishing for the exact same fish, almost the same technique. You're both fishing worms, but color sometimes, you know, like that laminate yep. uh, makes all the difference in the world. Or maybe the fact that you were fishing at wacky style and he wasn't, it's pretty, yep. pretty interesting for sure. Yep. If, if I could add to that, I went out fishing with my nephews once and they were going to show their uncle how to fish. And we went out on a lake in Arizona where I'm from. It's uh, Alamo Lake. But they were drop shotting because they were going to show Uncle Joe how to drop shot. And they wound up catching two fish. But they were throwing the straight robotail worm. And I picked up a trick that I learned out there years ago when I was tournament fishing, I actually put a tube on a drop shot. And what I tell people is don't get hung up on a drop shot thinking it has to be all finesse. Reason I say that is because I power fish a drop shot rig with a half ounce bell sinker and a 10 inch worm mm. at wow. some of the lakes back home and caught just as much fish as if you went and finessed, only I'm covering water faster. Mm -hmm. So don't be afraid to experiment, but kind of like what Brett said, sometimes you can experiment so much that you waste your day. That's why I said, use the boater to help you eliminate water. If you know they're biting on the bottom, then you may try it. But if you're on a top water bite, I wouldn't waste my time trying something like that. I'd look for something maybe more mid-range, maybe throwing a, a fluke or something just below what, the, what your boater's catching them on you know, like with an underspin, look for fish in that same level of water, but yeah. just a different technique. Great point. Yep. Okay. So, so you've triggered another thought here that I think we, we ought to explore a little bit. And that is you're new, you're new to tournament fishing. You're new, you've decided you're going to go all in and it's pretty intimidating the first time you do it. I can remember the first time I signed up for a uh, tournament, a, a co-angler tournament, and I was super nervous uh, going the first time. But let's say you're going all in. You decided, I'm going to become a better tournament angler. I'm going to become a co-angler. Uh, you, you pick a lake that you've not fished on before, or even if you have fished on it before, you're not going to have any control over the water at all. Well, how do you prepare for that? What What are some of the key things you should be doing early on to prepare so that your first day as a co-angler, you're not a failure. 
Well, I'll speak to this because I try to teach people now, young people. First of all, everything I've learned, I've been taught by somebody. I didn't wake up one day and all of a sudden was this fisherman. Mm -hmm. I've had people pour into me and show me things and teach me things. Today with technology, you can simplify a lot of things by doing online research. And what I mean by that is if you know you're going to fish a specific lake, you can go on. There's enough information to tell you either by local guides, by previous tournaments, YouTube. You can look back and find out what baits work have been working on that lake. What if caught fish in the past? That gives you a starting point. Instead of bringing everything you own to the lake, it's still smart to bring enough tackle you can adjust. But you can get a lot of information from online, from guides, from stuff like that, just by researching. You know, you'll find out, okay, am I fishing a clear lake? Am I fishing a lake with grass? You know, what's the typical pattern for that time of year? You know, is it top water? Is it dirt baits? It just depends on the season. But each lake will have like little specific things, kind of like you talked about some of the lakes back in Alabama and stuff, ledge fishing. We don't do a lot of ledge fishing here in Missouri. There's just not enough lakes that... I mean, you've got some ledges, but it doesn't seem to bunch them up like some of the lakes in Tennessee, Alabama. So if you know you're going to a specific lake that is designated, the guys are going to be out ledge fishing, you know it's that time of year, then you can start simplifying your tackle to that specific technique. In other words, your heavy jigs, your spoons, you know, the stuff that you're comfortable throwing. The thing I would say is don't pick up a bait that you've never thrown before and take it to a tournament. You need to stick with, with, with what your confident baits are because that's going to make you a better fisherman. The time to experiment with stuff like that is in the pre-fish. If you're out pre-fishing, you may want to play with that or make a specific trip up to a lake so you can do that kind of stuff. But right in the middle of the tournament is not the time to try to learn something because these guys that are doing it, even in the front of the boat, have been doing it for years on end. They'll go fish a circuit. They're going to pick what lakes they want to go to because it lines up to their strengths. If you look at all the professional fishermen, even KVD, there's certain things that he's very strong at, like square build, crankbait, stuff like that. If that bite is on, he's hard to beat because that's his technique. You'll have other guys like Hank Parker that was good with jigs, spinnerbaits. If that's a bite, he's going to try to look for lakes that are going to fish to his strengths. That's one thing you can do by researching the lakes and fishing some of these tournaments. You could actually, when you first start out, try to find stuff that is to your strength. If you don't have any strength yet and you're just learning, then go with an open mind, but still go with what works on that lake. That would be my my suggestion to somebody just starting out. Yeah, I agree good, with Joe 100% on that. Yeah, absolutely. I, you, there's so many YouTube videos. You could type in your local lake and probably have a dozen videos of guys out there bass fishing. And at least if you've never been there, it gives you a good start uh, of what to start with and try. 
And another thing I would suggest, like he said, was uh, if, if, if they're biting on certain baits that you haven't thrown before, uh, I agree with Joe. If you're, if you're not down there for three days of practice before this tournament, uh, I wouldn't throw it. But uh, what I do, I don't have a boat. So I go to my local pond, uh, and I know ponds around, you know, my area that have bass in them, and I will throw that bait, and I'll get to understand how that bait runs, what it does, uh, and that's helped me so many times. I've, I've uh, you know, bought different baits and tried different things in ponds, and, the, and the, the great thing about that, this sounds crazy, but, like, you fish a small pond, you catch a, a, a bunch of bass in the pond, they get kind of used to that bait you throw and they quit biting it and you have to throw something different. And if you go out there and you pick out a bait and you start throwing, they start biting it. You know, that's probably a pretty good bait. You know, it's something they haven't seen before. So they're going to bite it. So uh, definitely uh, I would, Joe, you, you, you want to uh, practice with that bait. You know, if, if you have a boat and you can go at the lake, like, like Joe said, you know, put down all your rods, take that one drop shot out there and just do that all day. Uh, there's so many nuances to every bait, you know, uh, he mentioned crankbaits, you know, you can, uh, there's a whole art and technique to throwing a crankbait. You can't just go out there and throw it out there and reel it in. You know, you, are you, are you bouncing it off the rocks? What depth are you in? What, what, you know, what size line do you have? There's a whole lot there, uh, that, that can play into that factor. So, uh, yeah, definitely want to kind of perfect each technique if you can. A little bit before you go out. So what's your thought about, uh, Joe Enda, you talked about confidence baits. Um, let's say you've only got a couple of confidence lures that you use and, um, uh, the odds, you don't know whether, whether they're, they're going to work on the lake you're going to, but you hear other techniques will work. What are the odds of you catching fish on a confidence bait? If nobody's talking about it, well, the thing about a confidence bait is that you're going to spend the time to learn it. That's why it's a confidence bait. You know, you understand what it does, how it works. And what I mean by confidence bait, uh, a prime one for me is a Cinco. And you can take a Cinco and you can fish it so many different ways. You know, you can throw it Texas with no weight. So that gives you a slow fall. That covers a lot of the water column. You can throw it on a shaky head. You can whack it. You can throw it on a Texas rig. I mean, there's just an onslaught of things you can do. Those are the baits you want to learn. You know, we have, uh, Brett, Brett knows, we have a friend of ours that fishes the club that we were in. This guy throws a baby brush hog almost everywhere he goes. But that's his confidence bait. That same baby brush hog you can use as a jig trailer. You could throw it on a shaky head. You could drop shot it. You could throw a Carolina rig. Those are the baits you need to learn that will cover a vast area of water. And like Joe said, you know, take them to your local pond, get confidence. You'll understand more and more if you take the bait and you say, okay, I'm gonna hook a Texas rig, I'm gonna see how it works this way. You know, let it fall, okay, I see how it works, jerk it. Because if you throw a Texas rig Cinco, when you jerk it, it darts like this and then let it fall. And then it darts like this, and then it falls. When you throw the wacky, it goes like this. So you're talking about a whole different action to trigger those fish. When you throw it on a shaky head, it's just gonna go to the bottom and stand up. It's like a, 
using a, a supersized trick worm. You can cut it down and use it as a Ned rig. It's just a bait that covers a wide variety of things. As going as a co-angler, and Joe and Brett could both attest to this, you have a limited amount of tackle you can bring. It's not like the boater that has lockers and lockers of it. You've got one little bag you can bring. So learn baits that you can use and adapt with that will cover all the columns. And then, like I said, use your boater and figure out, okay, do I need to have this bait on the bottom? Maybe I need to throw it on a flick shake, you know, so it, it weights it down in wacky style. Or maybe it is just a regular shaky head style. Or maybe it needs to be weedless. It, all that comes into play as you start going through your day of fishing. That's a really good, really good point. Uh oh my, what's going on with my microphone there? Anyway, uh, one really interesting thing about that is, it, and that's another brilliant nugget right there, that uh, if you learn techniques that are very give you a lot of versatility, uh, that can be fished a lot of different ways. Man, that that's just good thinking. Uh, another example. Uh, practical example of that is I've uh, started fishing with these Kitech uh, crazy flappers and what they are is they are a um, they're they're just another brush hog type bait they're they're a big creature bait very similar in size to a brush hog the thing that makes them uh, more versatile in my opinion though than a brush hog although you can do this with a brush hog as well is it's a giant creature bait but then you can start pulling appendages off of it uh, to get it to do different things. And, and you can even bite the end of it off and make it a jig trailer. And there's just so many different ways to use that one piece of soft plastic bait. And uh, the Cinco is another example of that and worms the same way, you know, uh, that's really good thinking. Another good reason, uh, another reason that's a great idea is just because as a co-angler, you're limited on space. You can't bring every single lure you own, most likely, most of the time you can't. And so if you can find lures that will double duty for multiple techniques, uh, it takes up less room, less room in your tackle bag, which is another great, great thought. Yep. Uh, I, I want to touch on what Joe said about the whole shaky head. You know, if I, I think if I was a brand new co-angler, and, and the reason I, I say this is because uh, back in uh, 2014, uh, a, a really good friend of mine, he's a good friend to this day, uh, lives out in Kentucky, signed up to fish his first uh, open as a co-angler. And uh, I contacted him on Facebook. He came out and spent the night at my house. We drove down to Amistad and uh, fished down there. And this guy had bought all kinds of tackle, crazy lures, all kinds of, you know, anytime you walk into a tackle store, there is a million colors and a million different baits you can buy. And I remember him for that whole season. He's like, well, I tried this bait and I tried that bait and I tried this bait and I tried that bait. I tried all my good baits, you know, just kept switching lures, switching lures, switching lures. And the point you brought up about a shaky head, if I was a brand new co-angler, I would learn a Cinco, a shaky head, a two or three things because they're so versatile, you know, talking about that shaky head, you could throw a big one, you could throw a small one, you can wacky rig it, you can Nico rig it. There is just so many techniques and that is a fish catching machine behind pros that you're fishing in front of. I've seen too many co-anglers, 
you know, catch their limit of fish, just throwing a, a shaky head in, in whatever various style, flick shake, you know, whatever it is. And you can switch colors and things like that. So, uh, yeah, definitely, uh, uh, you know, get those techniques down. You're absolutely right about the, uh, about the shaky head technique in and of itself. You know, five, 10 years ago, that thing was as hot, uh, hot a technique as there was on the planet. And uh, with the Ned rig and the Nico rig and some of these other kind of more sexy, uh, more popular techniques, a lot of guys are not throwing shaky heads at all anymore. And that also is something that could give you a competitive advantage in a tournament because we all know that shaky heads work almost everywhere, but a lot of guys that used to throw them are not throwing them anymore. Yeah, so. absolutely. I, and I've Texas rigged it. You, you know, you could use the same worm to do all those techniques, you know, so it's not like you have to have a lot of tackle, you know, you buy you a few select colors of shaky heads and they're probably going to work just about everywhere in the country. So, uh, you know, great way to way to start out and learn and, and, and catch fish behind guys all the time. Okay, let's touch on color just for a minute. Uh, we don't have to go crazy on color, but same sort of thing. You're a brand new co-angler. Uh, the first step, I totally agree with you, Joenda. If you did a lot of research online, YouTube and checking with guides, that sort of thing, you should be able to determine what are the best colors for a certain lake at a certain given time. And without a doubt, there are specific colors that work better on some lakes than others. So if you can find the intel up front, that's the best technique. Wouldn't you agree there? Yeah, I mean, anytime that you can research, I mean, even to this day, if I go to a lake and Brett can vouch for this, if I go to a lake I don't know or never been to, and we've done that, we've went to lakes we didn't even know, I got on, I YouTube, I, I checked out, okay, what are the colors? Even though I'm confident in my ability, I'm trying to speed the process along. So in the two days or the three days of pre-fish, you make the most of those three days. What I don't want to do is have to go through a whole, like you said, there's probably 50,000 different colors to a Cinco. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. I want the quickest way to make me more efficient. So I'm gonna do the online research, the homework. And then from there, I can adjust. You're always gonna have a couple of confidence baits like green pumpkin. You can take that almost anywhere and it works. Another one is to me is black and blue. Black and blue is another good confident bait. But some lakes for whatever reason tend to have like a little June bug might be the, the color at that lake. But what they're actually going for is the water clarity has a lot to do with that. If you're fishing a stained lake, it's going to be darker colors because they're going to see it better. If it's a clear lake, they're going to be more natural colors. And to give you an example, we actually took a, a I think it's called J239. It's a watermelon, Japanese watermelon, Cinco. And if you throw it up in the dash of your truck for about two weeks, it fades out to this golden, goldish color. And it, for so, some reason during the spawn out west, it tends to be a real hot color. I don't know if it mimics the carp 
or something that's preying on the nest, but it works. And just little things like that on different lakes, a lake here that I fish, there's a certain time of the year where the red shed cinco warts better than any other color. And the only reason it does is because it's right at the spawn for whatever reason that red shad, that flash of red triggers them and they hit it. The rest of the year, they won't touch it. But it happens to be that window just as they're transitioning onto the beds that they're very, very, for some reason, that color works. And then the rest of the year, green pumpkin or watermelon red flag seems to work. Yeah, I agree with Joe. I think, uh, I think you can get so caught up in the latest, greatest colors. But man, if I was starting out, like he said, I mean, I'd have the watermelon, the green pumpkin, the black and blue. And then what you can do, or what I've done, uh, even at the Louisville tournament, uh, I think I, I had a, a green pumpkin candy color. It had a little bit of flake in it. It was still the green pumpkin, but it had a little bit different flake. And that seemed to get me more bites till I ran out of them. But uh, man, I, I, I wouldn't go crazy. Uh, like, like he said, do the research. If you can get the information up front, do that. And then start with those and it may be a variation of that color. But uh, you know, I wouldn't go crazy uh, you know, buying because you're, you're just gonna spend a lot of money and uh, you're gonna be disappointed. You know? So and, and what, what happens then is if you have 10 different colors, now you're switching colors every five minutes and you're not fishing. So you're yeah. not going to catch any fish. So, you know, get something, you know, works on that lake and try to exploit that as best you can. And you're probably going to catch fish doing it. Yeah. Great thoughts. The, the, let's face it, uh, a, a huge uh, variety of colors really is designed to attract the fishermen. Right. Uh, and we do get attracted by it, man. We'll look at something and say, boy, that looks beautiful. That has got to do. Oh, that's amazing. That's got to catch them. And yet they want just a plain black worm, you know? Yep. Uh, so it, 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 it's good to kind of, you do have to be uh, versatile enough and open-minded enough to get off of your tried and true colors at times, obviously, because sometimes color, like you were talking about that laminate worm uh, there at Amistad, Sometimes color matters. The specific color matters a lot, but then sometimes it's, it's, it's not nearly as, as critical or important. Yep. Absolutely. And I, you know, I remember fishing on table rock, which I'm, you know, I'm a Texas guy. I've used to fish in stained, shallow water, grassy, stumpy places. And we go to table rock and that was totally out of my element. And the guy that I uh, practiced with uh, lives up there and, you know, he's throwing this speed crawl and I, that's my favorite bait. And I'm like, I got thousands of those. Well, I didn't have one he, color he had, you know, this thing was purple and it was watermelon red on one side and purple on the other. I've never seen this color before. I think you got me some bread. They're called huckleberry. And man, that's he right. was catching fish and I couldn't catch a fish on a speed crawl of any color I threw. So, you know, definitely a lesson learned, you know, there's always lessons you learn at every tournament. And sometimes, you know, color does, especially when you're in that clear water, uh, color can definitely play a factor. But, uh, you know, like he said, you start out with those colors that are, you know, you can catch them anywhere on those and you're probably better off. So one other color strategy that I thought I would bring up that I'd let you guys talk about. As a co-angler, 
we talked about one of the most important things you can do is don't fish the same technique that your boater's fishing. But there's always a but to everything. And sometimes you will get on a lake and you literally will have tried everything in your box and nothing's working except that Cinco or whatever that technique is your boater's throwing. And you finally decide, I've got to throw the same thing he's throwing. Well, obviously, you've still got to be versatile or uh, different enough so that you can hopefully catch a fish behind someone throwing the exact same thing you're throwing. So this is not a recommended strategy if you're a co-angler, but there are going to be times when you absolutely are throwing the exact same thing. So what are some things you can do to give yourself a chance to catch fish beside, behind someone if you if you're find yourself in a situation you've got to throw the same bait? Well, I know for me, uh, especially in the beginning of the day, if I'm fishing with a guy and he's catching fish on a certain bait uh, and it's good, and I've maybe caught him on there in practice, I try to throw where he's not throwing, obviously. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, sometimes uh, you're stuck in a situation where you're maybe going down a bank and there's just stump after stump and he's hitting every one of those stumps. Uh, I might throw between the stumps, you know, almost at a bare bank or something that doesn't uh, look like, you know, what he's doing. Or I might throw, uh, and I've caught a lot of fish doing this, throwing at a, the exact opposite angle. He may be throwing at a 45 degree angle at all the stuff here. I'm throwing backwards at a 45 degree angle at all the cover. And you wouldn't believe how many times I've caught fish doing that. And he's already thrown at that stump two or three times going down the bank. And I just throw it at a different angle and catch a fish. Or if we're fishing boat docks, you know, we may be, he may be going in and out of these boat docks fishing. And, uh, you know, he may be throwing a jig or something like that. And, and I'm, I may be throwing a jerk bait or a, or a crankbait, and I'm throwing that when we pass that dock, I turn around and throw backwards uh, right down the face of that dock and try to bang those poles as I'm coming through or throw down straight down the side, you know, if he's not doing that with something a little bit different. And, man, I've caught a lot of fish doing that behind those guys. You know, they're focused in. And the great thing about being a co-angler sometimes, we don't realize this, but that guy's been practicing down there for probably at least a week. And he's probably been throwing the same bait at those fish numerous days. Cause you know how guys are, they'll go in there and catch a few fish and then they'll go back a few days later, check, let me see my fish are in here and they'll, you know, they'll shake them off, but they're throwing the same bait and you could go right behind them. I've, I've, this has happened to me many times where they're throwing a jig and I'll throw that little speed crawl. Cause it's something different. It's similar, but it's something different. And that fish hadn't seen it because they've seen his jig all week and you just catch fish after fish right behind them. So, uh, yeah, definitely don't do exactly, you know, the same thing they're doing and, and try to throw different angles and just look at it, try to look at it a little bit different than they are. Okay, Joenda, what do you think? You're in a situation, the only thing you got in your tackle bag is the exact same worm your boater's throwing. What, what, what would you try to do? Well, to build off of what Joe said, I'm not going to do the exact same thing he's doing because 
again, those fish have been pressured. They've seen that bait over and over. You can take that same worm, say he's throwing a Texas rig, which means he's fishing it on the bottom. Throw a drop shot. Put that same worm on a drop shot rig. Now it's above. The fish haven't seen that. Or you could throw it on a flick, uh, flick shake and whack it because that's a whole different look than what a Texas rig does. And the same thing with a jig. If he's throwing a jig, say he's throwing, he'd go down the bank throwing a half ounce jig. One of my favorite things to do early spring is to lighten it up. I mean, I throw a 5 sixteenths jig during a spawn. I want that thing to drop so slow in front of them that it irritates them enough that they're going to bite it. So just changing the speed of the fall or bulking the jig up can make all the difference in the world or even slimming it down, you know, making it a smaller profile. That'll get you that one or two bites from those fish that have already seen his bait five or six times during the week that you're able to go back and maybe pick up that one or two more bites that you need or it's going to help you at least build off of that. So... I still tend to not try to do the same exact thing, but you can tweak it and get it some of those fish behind him. And and I agree with Joe. Sometimes it is the angle, you know, because if he's throwing at the bank 45, he's throwing at this side of the of the of the brush pile. He's not throwing at this side of the brush pile. So when you go past it and you throw back to it at a 45, you're actually covering water that he hasn't covered. So you do want to at least look at the angles. I even do that when I'm fishing teams, like I have a team partner. I actually fish with one eye out, uh, my peripheral vision, kind of watching where he is placing his, his bait. If you're flipping, he's going down the bank flipping. I'm flipping behind him, but I'm looking at, okay, is he flipping the outside or is he flipping back in the grass, you know? You can pick up little keys like that. Is he flipping to the points or the pockets in this grass? Because if he's flipping to the points, I'm going to flip to the pockets. If he's flipping to the front, I'm going to flip further back. So you make yourself not only a more proficient team, but you're covering more area and giving yourself a better shot at putting in one or two fish that the boater in front isn't going to catch. Because for whatever reason, he may have been caught all his fish on the outside of that edge grass and pre-fish. And so that's all he's concentrating on. I guarantee you, if there's fish on the edge, there's some fish back in it. So you need to pay attention to what he's doing and then try to build off of that as far as where to put your baits, how to fish your bait. You know, make those little adjustments. If he's fishing on the bottom, like I said, throw the drop shot or throw something Maybe that's just a little bit different that might trigger those fish. Yep. So we've said we've said the uh, that's all a ton of great advice there. And one thing that we've said repeatedly, uh, we've just said it in different ways, is pay attention to that boater, that pro that's fishing. You can learn a lot from him. You can use him to help you eliminate water. You can also uh, observe the way he's fishing something, and then find ways to fish that he's not fishing. So that's, that's all really good stuff. All right. One other thing I wanted to hit on, this was a golden nugget, uh, Joe Lee, that you brought up in our last uh, podcast that I think we, uh, both of you could touch on again, if you want. And that is 
you were talking about that speed crawl and how you throw that speed crawl. Uh, one of the tournaments, I think it was at Louisville, you were throwing it a lot. And you said something kind of just in passing along the lines of, uh, I've figured out that uh, the more I can keep that speed crawl in the water, the more chances I have uh, of, of catching fish. And when you're fishing in a tournament, if it's a BASS open tournament, you're trying to catch a three fish limit. If it's on the FLW side, you're looking for a five fish limit. So normally as a co-angler, you're fishing for three to five fish in a, in a full day. Uh, so, so tell us a little bit about that philosophy. Yeah. So, uh, that speed crawl is probably one of my favorite, favorite baits, you know, that you can rig it so many different ways. We kind of talked about, you know, putting it on the wobble head and reeling it on the bottom. We talked about, you know, flipping it. Uh, Joe brought up a good point. Uh, the, the way that thing drops, you know, do you have an eighth ounce weight or do you have a, a three eighth ounce weight? You know, some of the rate of the fall sometimes, but, but one thing that I think uh, helps me a lot is I try to flip that thing into as many places as he's not flipping as I can. And I flip it a lot. Uh, if I, if I've got a flipping stick in my hand, I, I'm trying to make as many, as many casts as I, as I can make. And a lot of times I'll, I'll pitch multiple times into cover because if you ever seen like a, uh, say a bass on a bed, you know, and you're trying to catch a bass that you're looking at and you know, you can flip a bait around and sometimes they just completely ignore that bait, but you flip it in the right spot, you know, or come across that bed in the right spot, you know, that it irritates that fish and he bites your bait. And I think there's a lot of times, you know, these fish are heavily pressured a lot of times on these lakes and they're sitting in that bush, but, they, and they've seen a lot of baits come by there. But if, if you throw it in the right spot, uh, you're going to get a bite. And, you know, I flip, uh, a lot of these guys are throwing 65 pound braid on their jigs, flipping all this cover. You know, I just float, I throw 15 pound fluorocarbon, uh, because I'd rather get the bite and have the fish on with the chance to lose it than never get the bite at all. And, uh, there's been so many times I've caught fish, uh, you know, as long as you don't, you know, get crazy and horse them out of there. Uh, but that speed crawl, you know, I just, I just know if I can have that in my hand, I can, I can, you know, flip it as many times as possible. And eventually I'm going to get a bite. You know, it's like Joe mentioned, you know, the guy in the front of the boat is going for that fish that's going to react to his bait, you know, first, but, uh, but for the guy in the back of the boat, it's, it's, it's a numbers game. I think a lot of times, you know, I fished with Jacob Wheeler uh, on, uh, on uh, Table Rock Lake. And that guy is probably one of the hardest working, hardest fishing guys I've ever fished with. Literally, his bait, he, he threw uh, uh, several topwaters that day, and he put me three feet from the bank. And for me, for a co-angler, it was an awful day, but I learned so much about that guy and how hard that guy works and how hard he fishes. I mean, literally, we'd be going down the lake at, at 70 miles an hour. He shut the boat off. The boat's still in, in midair. He's walking up on the front deck with his trolling motor in the water. That rod is firing out there before that boat even comes to a halt. And he is covering. When, and it's, and this, this was a tough tournament. And I just realized, man, if you work super hard, you're going to come across a fish eventually. And I see so many times I'm out as a co-angler, and I see the co-angler in the other boat just sitting in the boat taking a nap or whatever, you know, because the fish aren't biting. You know, and, and more power to him if that's what he wants to do. 
but I, I figure if I can throw enough times, eventually I'm going to throw it in front of one and get a bite, you know. And sometimes him throwing in there, you know, gets them fired up, and then you're right behind him to catch a fish. So, you know, I think if you can do it uh, uh, enough times, you're, you're going to pick up a fish or two, and that's definitely, you know, worked out for me a lot of times. So I know that both of you are flippers, and uh, this kind of makes me think, I know when I first was learning the flipping technique, one, there's, there's a lot of things to learn about it. But one thing that I think is confusing for a brand new person learning to flip is uh, there are some keys, like you've got to be able to put it in the right spot. You got to be able to hit the target you're, you're shooting for. But how long do you leave it in the water? Uh, you know, you're talking here about you're, you're trying to get in as many places as you possibly can. Maybe we can start with you, Joenda. What's your thought on when you're flipping a bait uh, to targets? How long do you leave it in the water before you pull it out and go, and go to go to another spot, another place to drop it? Well, again, it, it, it's a lot to do with experiment. I mean, if you were out there pre-fishing, you'd have an idea how long to leave it in. I mean, going as a co-angler, sometimes you don't get to pre-fish and you're pretty much, you know, you show up and you wind up going. You'd have to let the fish dictate to you what they want. I've had it at times where you pitched it in. If they didn't hit it right away, I just pick up and go to the next one. And that's the bite. I've had other days where you flip it in and you actually got to pick it up, let it drop in that brush pile, pick it up, maybe shake it a little bit, let it drop, and all of a sudden they'll just take off with it. So again, don't get hung up in one. Let the fish let you know. And, and Brett's heard me say this a lot of time. It's hard to put something together if you're not getting bit. And that even goes as a co-angler or a boater. It's hard to put together a pattern if you're not getting bit. So once you start to get them bites, you need to pay attention to, okay, did the fish hit it on the initial drop? Did he chase it out? Maybe he got it on the way up. I've had him chase it to the boat almost and then grab it. That tells me a lot. You know, it's paying attention to all the little details as you go through your day. And then you're trying to duplicate the same scenario over and over to get the bite. So if you did pitch in there and you bit right away, then I wouldn't waste my time trying to yo-yo it in there because a lot of it's going to be dictated to according to how fast your boater is going down the bank. I've had boaters that I've been with, I thought were going way too fast for to be able to flip or to be able to do a certain mess. They can get theirs in because they're pitching up. But by the time you get to the brush pile and get ready to pitch into it, you're actually going past it, then pulling your bait out. So a lot of it's going to dictate, again, what your boater's doing how fast he's going down the bank because you don't want to, you don't want to crowd him and pitch to the front of the boat on top of him. So that's, that's going to be kind of a judgment call as you go through the day. Yeah. For me, I think uh, looking back on most of the time when I catch fish, uh, especially on the speed crawl or flipping, I think probably for me, most of the time, if you're flipping and cover, I think typically it's either the initial fall 
or I'll probably, I may only hop that thing twice and then I'm reeling it in and I'm, I may make put multiple pitches to that cover. Uh, but, uh, I don't usually let it sit there very long because usually if that fish is going to react, he's going to react on it when it's falling right by his face or when you jump it up in front of him, he's going to, he's going to react to it. So I, and, and, you know, and, and I'm not a big, uh, uh, I love flipping a big weight, but I just learned really how to do that really well. And we just fished a tournament. And that's one thing about flipping a big weight. You know, if you're flipping into a mat of cover, it, 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 you watch those guys on TV and normally they let that thing fall to the bottom and they lift it up and the fish is usually on there or they may hop it once or twice or they'll reel it up to the top of the mat and, and shake it just a few minutes. But if you notice, not a, most of those guys don't leave it in there for a really long time. Uh, so I rarely leave it in there for a very long time. Uh, sometimes if the if you it, like Joe said though, if you if you realize like the fish are not on the cover, they're off a little ways, maybe out in front of a grass line or something, but they're not in the grass. Then yeah, I might work it a little more. Uh, but I, like he said, it, it's all dictating on. Uh, the, the, the mood of the fish and the, the weather temperature and you know there's a lot of factors in that but but I would say nine out of ten times if they don't hit on the initial fall or the initial two hops I'm reeling it in because I think that gives you more opportunity to, to fish to you know throw it in there again or different angle at the cover and it gives you more pitches than if you sit there and work that thing all the way back to the boat you know uh, it, now in practice if you've caught them doing that way then do it but I think uh, just for uh, being able to do it a, a, a lot more, upping your percentage, I wouldn't leave it in there very long. I'd do it really quick. Well, I think this has been a really good show, actually. We were gonna, planning to spend a lot more time talking about a specific technique, but I think uh, we're going to skip that because we, we covered a lot of great information i think for a new guy want to learn how to be a co-angler and this is kind of what we've been talking about doing the the co-angler chronicles where we're going to give you some ideas on how to be a successful co-angler and the thing about learning to be a good tournament angler at the co-angler level everything you learn will translate if you want to become that guy who has his own boat and is running his own boat there's only one thing missing, and that's uh, if you're running your boat, you got to be the guy that finds the fish. And finding the fish is hard. It takes a lot, of, a lot of skill to find fish. But really, everything else, there are so many co-anglers out there that really, quite frankly, are awesome fishermen. Uh, there's plenty of bad ones, too. But... Uh, We've all fished ten tournaments here uh, as co-anglers and as boaters, and uh, we've got experience at both levels. And fishing is fishing. It doesn't matter if you're a co-angler or a pro at the front of the boat. The skill set and the things that you've got to learn and you got to master are all very, very similar. Uh, so just before we wrap up, guys, anything else you'd like to mention about the whole co-angling game, the tournament fishing game, uh, before we before we wrap up. My one suggestion would be if if you're really seriously thinking about going into being a co-angler, start off at a club level. 
don't just jump into the BFLs or the FLW. Go as a co-angler at a club level. Let them guys pour into you as you sharpen your skills. When you get to where you're consistently taking checks in the club, then you've sharpened your skills enough to say, okay, let me take the next step. Let me try an open or let me try the FLW for one season. Don't go out, buy a rod and a reel, a tackle bag and decide, okay, I'm going to go be a co-angler uh, at the FLW. Yeah. <laughs> you're first of all, going to get very disappointed and you're going to give up quick. The other thing is do not think that you're going to go out there and take the world by storm. What I mean by that is a lot of guys go out there, think they're going to win tournaments. Your first couple of years, you're going to donate. It's like <laughs> anything. It's like going to school or college. You're paying to learn. So don't get upset with yourself. Try to learn from your good experiences when you are catching fish and try to learn from the days that you don't catch fish. What I mean by that is go home, sit down and say, okay, what could I have done better? What didn't I do? What adjustments didn't I pick up? What was my boater doing that I wasn't doing? You know what I mean? Get that in your head. Don't put pressure on yourself. Kind of like Joe said, go out there, fish to your strengths, give it 110%. And at the end of the day, it is what it is. Then you just come back, you learn from your experiences. Then the next time you go to that lake or the next time you happen to be put into that position, things will click and say, hey, wait a minute. I remember a guy doing this at this time of year. Let me try it. That all that starts coming back to you. But when you first start fishing, you don't have all that information. As you can tell, I'll tell you my age. I'm 61 years old. I've been doing it for a long time, considering I started when I was 23, tournament fishing. A lot of what I know and I'm passing on is stuff that I have learned over multiple years. Mm -hmm. I didn't wake up, fall out of bed, and go fish the BFL. Yeah. If I did, I guarantee you I didn't win. So be patient. Don't try to learn everything at once. Learn from these videos that you can watch on YouTube. Like I said, not only can you learn lakes, but you can learn techniques. You can get information from people like us. Little, little tidbits, or as Brent likes to say, little nuggets of information that you, know, you can store away. But I would definitely start off in a club where you can learn, there's not a lot of pressure, there's not a lot of competition, the guys don't mind sharing the information. If you're in a good club, kind of like Joe said, I joined ABC, which is Arizona Bass, which had all the best in Arizona. Mm -hmm. And before every tournament, they had those guys get up, I'm talking the best in the club, like John Murray and some of these other guys, and they would go over things that you need to be doing for that season or that time of year or so mm -hmm. they weren't afraid to share information that's why i say do it at the club level first get your your techniques down get your confidence baits down and then you're ready to take that next step great advice 
absolutely great advice. I, I just echo everything Joe said, you know, um, you know, I, I, I never had a lot of money, so it wasn't like I could just jump out there and, and, you know, fish on the, on the pro side, even though I had opportunities to do it. Uh, so definitely don't go above your means. If it means starting at your local level, uh, go out there. That's the best place to get experience. And, uh, uh, and then as far as it, if you do decide to jump into, uh, you know, one of the big tournaments, uh, uh, realize that you're, you're going out there to learn, you know, first and foremost, and, uh, and you can't get frustrated. You know, if, if you're going out there with the mindset, you're going out there to win, uh, I probably wouldn't do it because you're probably going to get frustrated. Uh, but man, it's such a great uh, place to learn, but uh, agree with Joe you start out. If you can start out local level, do that and uh, fish as many tournaments as possible. Uh, fish with guys you know there's so many of those clubs now that have you know co-anglers that you can you know you fish as a co-angler in the back of the boat uh, or if you have a buddy I have a buddy that has a boat so uh, uh, but yeah you can't you can't uh, uh, go wrong by learning all you can uh, on your local level before you jump into those big tournaments. Great tips from Joe and Joe, the Joe and Joe team. They know what they're talking about and uh, appreciate you guys coming on tonight. Uh, I, I learned a lot and I think uh, I know our listeners, uh, this has been a great experience for them. Also, if you do want to learn how to win, these guys are winners and we're going to be talking about winning techniques as well in the future on future shows. So don't worry, they're not against winning. Uh, <laughs> they both believe in winning and they know how to win, but uh, they make a great point. Uh, if, if it's only about winning, you're going to, you're going to get disappointed really, really quick. So that's going to wrap it up for us tonight. Thanks again, guys, for uh, being here for, for sharing in the Mr. Bass podcast. It means a lot. And uh, I think it was a great show and we will talk to you guys later until next time. Happy tournament fishing.